experience is that you will grow in your capacity to love well. Our purpose here at CCC is that we would love God fully and love others what? Okay, don't leave me hanging there. Let's try that again. Love God fully and love others what? Deeply. Right, deeply. And it takes some work. It takes some effort. It takes some practice. It takes learning some skills to be able to love others deeply. So um, it's on our website. We'll have more information for you in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we wanted to get this information out because it's starting, obviously, right after Christmas. And we want you to be able to be a part of that. You know, one of the most exciting elements about Christmas is uh, toys. And uh, if you're not a little kid anymore and it's no longer the toys that show up, um, it's maybe the gadgets or the upgrades that appear, appear. So what are the hottest toys of this Christmas season? Um, if we can get that slide up there with that one. Um, there we go. Here's one of the hottest toys for this Christmas season. Anybody know what that is? Hatchimals. Oh, look at all these. Are, you can tell we're in the service with lots of parents with kids, you know. Hatchimals. For those of you like, what in the world is a Hatchimal? A Hatchimal is an egg that you can give your kid. And inside this egg is something that they will hear sounds and noises and react to all of the sounds and noises that um, it does just like a normal egg would. And then at some point in time, something will hatch. And not just one, but twins will hatch out of this egg for your kid to experience and participate. They will talk, dance, sing, tell jokes, and play more. So uh, one of the hottest items for Christmas this year. So here's another one. Um, when I was a kid growing up, one of my favorite toys was an erector set. Now, I'm not good at figuring out how to put things together, but I can follow instructions pretty well. So I could follow the instructions. Well, this is the next generation of the erector set, because this is Max. And Max combines artificial intelligence with customizable programming designed for your 12-year-old. Um, they will not only be, they will be able to take this STEM Robox platform and engage kids using their knowledge of science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, Max is built in with not only functionality, but trivia games and funny jokes. And so this is another hot item for you to provide for your kids that they might be interested in. One last item for you uh, with the final episode of the Star Wars, whatever that thing is that continues forever and ever and ever, um, is the amazing BB-2, uh, BB-8, BB-8. Uh, the iconic droid features lights, sounds, and not only does it feature lights and sounds, but when you open him up, there are figurines inside, and there's a multi-level playlist which will allow you to explore all kinds of features like trap doors, firing projectiles, and many, many more. Some of you are thinking, man, what in the world? Those toys weren't around when I was a kid, you know? I remember what, the year that we got the Atari system, you know, and uh, my brother and I playing on the, using the Atari on our black and white TV was what highlighted our Christmas, um, was one of the gifts that we remember and look back with great fondness. But one of the most popular toys at Christmas, not so much anymore, but for many, many years, it's now in the, in the Toy Hall of Fame, is this next toy. Anybody tell me what it is? You're, not, you're supposed to tell me, not chuckle. What is it? You can say it a little louder. Viewfinder. It's right there on the toy. Viewmaster. Viewmaster is what it is. And for those of you that are like, what in the world is a Viewmaster? Well, it was this amazing toy that you put one of those little circle discs in the top, you put it in front of you, and it goes from black in one click. Suddenly, it explodes with color and amazing pictures of all kinds of things from your favorite national park to a comic strip that you love to your favorite story puts the color images. 
And the amazing thing about this is it's so much like real life. So much like real life. Because we all have a view and perspective on life. Just like those discs that you put in the Viewmaster. And it depends on your filter how you look at and experience life. Maybe you've had this experience when you've told someone something about your childhood or something that happened to you when you were a kid and you just told it like you were telling any other story and that person (gasps) winced or grimaced. Anybody ever had that experience? And you're like, what? What? You're like, that's awful. You're like, what do you mean it's awful? It's just what happened to me. It's just what happened in life. You're like, I can't believe you went through that. I'm so sorry you had to face such a horrible thing. And you're like, that's just what happened in my life. And what's happened is, is that is your view of what happened in your life. Because what often, what often happens in our lives is when we experience something, the, way, the age we are that we experience it, that locks it into our memory, and that's how we will view that until we take some time and work through it differently. And so no matter how old we are, and we retell that story, we retell it and experience it like we're looking through that lens at that age we were when we experienced it. But other people who are much older can look at that same experience through a different lens and see it very, very differently. The truth is we all have a lens. We all have a lens that we're looking through. Um, Some of you look through life with a negative lens. And when something good happens in life, you're like looking around like, when's the next bad thing going to happen? When's the shoe going to fall? You know, you're looking around for the next bad thing. Some of you look through life with a positive lens. And you say in life, what could possibly go wrong? Of course it's going to work out. That's the lens that you look through with your life. And the truth is, how you view your life is how you do your life. How you view your life is how you do your life. All of us have a lens. And for most of us, this lens or this filter was given to us. It was given to us. Sadly, sometimes it's given to us by harm that's done to us, and it creates a lens that we look through life and the world. Sometimes we're given a lens by words that are said to us, and that creates the filter that we look through and determines how we view life. Sometimes what I've come to discover recently is the filter is created not by harm or not by words, but by the absence of words spoken. And so children are left to create their own lens with their own mind, in the way that they view life. And what happens is these filters that we have, that we view life, it's how we view relationships, it's how we view finances, it's how we do choices, career, school, difficult times, tragedy, loss. We view them all through the lens that we have been given of our lives. You say, John, what does all of this have to do with Christmas? What does it all have to do with Christmas? Well, I think it has a lot to do with Christmas. Because what Christmas provides for us is an opportunity for us to see how God views life. And for God to offer to us a different lens that we can look through life and our experiences. And if we look through life and our experiences in a different way than we currently do, it can change our lives forever. And that's why it's such an amazing gift. Because how we view our life is how we do our life. If you haven't been here with us, we started last week a new series entitled Fresh Eyes, looking at the Christmas story in a whole new light. And we're walking through the Christmas story and looking at different characters in the Christmas story in a little bit different way than maybe you've looked at them before. And if you weren't here with us last week, we looked at Mary, a woman who was in a great place in life. Life was going well. It could not be going any better for her when suddenly, in an instant, 
everything changed. Everything changed. And we saw Mary ask questions. But we saw Mary at the end of the day say this, I am your servant and I'm going to cling to your promises. I'm going to cling to your promises. God, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm willing to follow you. And even though it's uncertain and I don't know what the future holds, I'm going to hold tightly to what I know is true about you and about my life. And today we're going to look at another member of the Christmas story, and that's the shepherds, the shepherds. If you have a Bible, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 2, you can follow along on your phone or wireless device. If you want to grab a Bible in the seat back in front of you, it's page 832, 832. And we're going to see how the, view, the shepherds' view of life was altered. When God showed up in their lives, everything changed. And when this happens, they saw God with a set of fresh new eyes. What happened to them can happen to us, and that's the amazing power of Christmas. Before we jump into the story, let me tell you a little bit about shepherds. Um, shepherds were not a particularly religious group of individuals. Um, we don't know really anything about their faith. We assume that they had some kind of God orientation. Shepherding really goes back to the beginning of time. If you open the Bible and you read some of the stories in the Bible, you find these individuals interacting with sheep and livestock. Individuals like Adam and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, they all took care of sheep. Jacob's family was moved down to Egypt. And they were sheep herders. And when they moved down to Egypt, they were given this land called the land of Goshen where they could keep their sheep. So why were they given that land? Well, when the when Jacob and his family went down there, they encountered a very different way of life. You see, the Egyptians, they did not take care of livestock. They were agriculturalists. They grew their food. They grew what they were going to live off of. And as farmers, they despised shepherding because sheep and goats would destroy what they were trying to grow and live off of. Egyptians considered sheep worthless other than for food and for sacrificing to idols. And their Egyptian art and historical records portray shepherds very negatively. The neighboring Arabs, they took care of the sheep out in the wilderness, out in the fields and the plains. And there was such a, ne there was a, a negative perspective them escalated when the shepherd kings took over the lower part of Egypt as part of their Egyptian history. Pharaoh's clean-shaven court looked down on the rugged shepherds that were Joseph's brothers when they showed up in the court. And they, they said this of his brothers. They said, every shepherd is detestable to the Egyptians. And so in the course of these 400 years that the people of, of God were slaves in Egypt, the prejudices and the perspectives of the people of Egypt slowly filtered down. Because the, Jacob's descendants, they used to wander around as nomads. They would kind of go wherever there was, there was grass and wherever there was something to feed their animals. They would move from location to location to location. But when they settled in the land of Egypt, the need for that diminished. And when they then later settled in Canaan, only a few tribes on the eastern side of the Jordan, were involved in shepherding. Shepherding ceased to take a prominent role in the culture of that day. And as the Israelites acquired more farmland, shepherding became a menial vocation for the lower class of people. You would have thought that when David showed up on the scene, who was one of the kings of Israel, one of the most well-known kings of Israel, and the fact that he was a shepherd, that maybe there would have been a resurgence, but it really didn't happen. In spite of the fact that David wrote one of the most well-known psalms, and that's Psalm 23, in which he says, The Lord is my shepherd. You see, shepherding had just lost its widespread appeal. And it had eventually forfeited its social acceptability. 
Some shepherds earned their poor reputation. Others became victims of the culture and the society. The religious leaders maligned the shepherd's good name. And the rabbis banned the sheep from being anywhere where there were people centers. They had to go out to the plains. And they were pushed away from the people and the culture. One historian documents that shepherds were deprived of civil rights. They could not fulfill offices or they would not be allowed in the court as witnesses. In the Jewish system... It was a little bit like the, the, um, in the country of India where there's a caste system and people are slotted into a caste, a certain place in society based on the family that they were born into. And the Jewish leaders did that as well. The religious leaders, they had certain people were elevated higher than other people and others were dropped down a little bit lower. And the shepherds were officially labeled at the bottom of society. They were often described as sinners, a technical term for a class of despised people. And so this is the situation as we pick up the story. These individuals who are shepherds, and as you think about the the filter that they were looking through, what does that filter look like based on what I just told you? So Jesus has been born. He arrived on the scene. It was a quiet night. Likely there was a fire going on. And so what would it have been like to be a shepherd? I've given you some of the cultural background to know what the culture was like, but what is it like to live around, be with, and take care of sheep? I asked a couple guys what that was like and listened to what they had to say. So I've heard and read lots of things about sheep, but I've never actually taken care of sheep. What's it like to take care of sheep? Uh, sheep are a lot of work. They um, are not the smartest animal in God's creation, and so they they can just they get themselves into a lot of trouble. And I remember as a kid um, just watching them run as a herd right through fences, right into trees. Um, I remember them, you know, just having their uh, lambs out in the middle of the field and it's snowy and cold and you have to go out and rescue the lamb and and uh, warm it up and make sure that it survives because the mother just kind of had it right, right in the middle of, of a pretty bad situation. So uh, We've experienced where they would, Tim says they run into fences, I've watched them get right through fences. Uh, they were escape artists in a lot of ways. Uh, I spent a lot of time just mending fences, and fences would look like they were perfectly fine, yet they would still make their way through them, and you'd wonder how they did it often. So it seems like someone who took care of a sheep, someone who took care of sheep, would have to be pretty conscientious and pretty attentive. Yeah, you really have to uh, to kind of watch them all the time, and you, you go and leave them, and you come back, you know, we... We obviously didn't live with them. They were fenced in, but you'd come back and you just, you'd never know. They'd be in the neighbor's fields. They'd be gone. You'd, you know, we, you just would never know what would happen if, if left all on their own without uh, really, const, not constant supervision, but you'd have to check on them often. Yeah, you, you, didn't, you didn't just leave them to their own ways. And, uh, you know, it's not, the weird thing about sheep, it doesn't seem like they just, they get smarter as they grow. Uh, where people, you know, a child, as they develop, they get smarter, and you can trust them as they get older. Sheep are nothing like that. Uh, they just stay the same, and they don't seem to learn. 
uh, about what's safe and how to take care of themselves in any way. So it's interesting because to be a shepherd, it seems like there would be an element of that of being lonely because you'd have to be fully attentive to these sheep all the time. And so you probably don't have time for people or anybody else or anyone else or anything else. Yeah, I, can, I can't imagine what it's like like wandering around out in the wilderness with them. I mean, at least in our context, they were fenced in most of the time. Um, you know, they, they had a constant source of food and water. I can't imagine moving them, you know, all around, let alone the dangers of just the wilderness, you know, wild animals and things like that. We, we had a couple goats with our sheep that kept some of the animal the predators away from them but um you know i just i would i would think for a shepherd you're constantly on even at night when you might put them in um kind of a fenced in area um you still predators are coming around and and i just yeah i would think it's very demanding and very lonely i mean i don't know how much shepherds hung out with each other um there's a little bit i guess record of them you know being somewhat in groups and and I, and I read some things that said that they would sometimes um, bring them together at night and, and keep them that way. So you get some interaction there, but you just for a lot of the year, you're out in the wilderness. So that night, when the announcement of Jesus' birth came, it says the angels came to the shepherds. So it could very well be exactly what you're talking about, where a group of shepherds who had had their sheep out and were taking care of them had brought them together likely were still by they probably weren't sitting around the fire together they were probably somewhat spread around the sheep to keep them from wandering off or getting lost and and moving around um what do you, what else do you think might have been going through their minds as they were out there in the field that night well i really doubt that they've had a lot of visits from hosts of angels <laughs> uh i i would think it would have to be terrifying and i, I think that's probably why we see uh, the angels responding the way they did. Um, I, you know, it's just yeah. well, shocking. Even, even throughout history, when God, you know, would come and he'd have a message, it often went to a king, it went to a prophet. Right. It didn't usually come to a shepherd. Right. <laughs> they're, I'm sure they're kind of like, what is this and why us? You know, because that was pretty unusual, it seems. So what do you think is the filter that the shepherds are viewing life through? How do they see themselves based on what you've heard? Isolated, alone, bottom end of the social structure, um, taking care of animals that they can't train, that they can't learn anything from, that they've got to watch 24-7. I think they might have viewed themselves as not being very important, not really valuable other than maybe to the sheep, and the sheep can't tell them they're valuable. Don't really matter much to anyone. And suddenly, they're given this opportunity to see life differently. To see life differently. How did that happen? Well, in the story, in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, the shepherds were living in, out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks. They basically were doing their job. That's what the shepherds were doing. They weren't doing anything spectacular. They weren't doing anything horrifically bad. They were just doing their job. And in the midst of doing their job, an angel showed up to them. And as an angel showed up to them, it says that they were terrified. 
And I'm struck by this word terrified because I would think that the shepherds being out in the fields by themselves, often alone, they had to have a certain level of bravery. You obviously couldn't be scared of the dark. You couldn't be scared of being alone and being a shepherd. And we know from the story that David told, who was a shepherd, that he killed one time a bear and he killed one time a lion as they were threatening his sheep. So we knew these were individuals that were faced with this risk of harm to their sheep all the time. And yet these lights were so overwhelming that it terrified the shepherds. What happened? What did the angel say? Well, the angel went on to say, don't be afraid. I've got some good news for you. The Messiah has been born. And this will be a sign. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes, cloths lying in a manger. I'm fascinated that God sent the shepherds to Jesus when he was in a manger. I think the picture of the manger pictures something that's very humble, something that um, is not very pretentious. But it's ironic to me that the first people that met him there were the shepherds. I wondered, would the shepherds have gone if they said, you will find the baby wrapped in cloths inside of the palace? Or you'll find the baby wrapped in cloths on the temple steps? Or you'll find the baby wrapped in cloths inside this house? Would the shepherds have even gone? Would they have gone? You see, into this social context of religious snobbery and class prejudice, God stepped in. And when God stepped in, he handpicked the lowly, unpretentious shepherds to be the first messengers to hear the news of the Messiah. Think about that. What an affront to the religious leaders who were absent from the announcement list that the Messiah, Jesus, was born. Because, you see, Jesus didn't come to the rich, to the wealthy, to the ruling class. Jesus came to the people who needed it the most. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, he said, but the sick. I've come to call the, not to call the righteous, but the sinners. And so when the angels showed up, it says a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with these angels, praising God and saying. I imagine one angel was frightening enough, but to have the skies filled with angels, which is what this indicates must have been terrifying. But these angels went on to say, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. And I thought about this idea of His favor resting. Because think about who you want to make an announcement to that's significant. Let's say you get a, a promotion at work. Or let's say you're, you're expe- you know, expecting another child. Or let's say something really cool happens to you. Do you just go and announce that? Now, some of you do it on Facebook all the time. We know that. But, you know, do you just announce it to everybody? Or are there one or two people you want to tell first? Are there one or two people? Maybe three or four. You know, maybe a spouse. Maybe a parent. Maybe a trusted family. You know, there are certain people, right? They're the ones that... To get the information first. They're kind of the privileged ones. As I thought about the shepherds, who had no sense of value, no sense of worth, not important to anyone, the angel said, peace is to those on whom his favor rests. And I think the people who got the announcement first are people on whom his favor rests. Suddenly, the ange- suddenly these shepherds, their perspective was changed. Because initially, their perspective was just on the sheep. Their eyes are always down. They're watching and attentive on their sheep. 
and suddenly their eyes are lifted up to look into the heavens and to see this angel and now this host of angels that announced this amazing message and they were the first ones to hear it. You see, when your filter is on what's in front of you, on your circumstances, on the struggle, on things that are overwhelming, you find yourself paralyzed. You find yourself trapped and stuck. But when your filter is on God, you find yourself with your eyes lifted up, filled with hope, filled with belief, filled with faith, that God might do something in the midst of this situation. And the shepherds had this amazing sense of awe. How many of you know who this guy is? The guy on my left, you're right. How many know who he is? Who is he? Andre the Giant, right? Andre the Giant, most affectionately known from the movie Princess Bride. Okay, not by me. I don't watch the movie, but some of you watch it all the time. Um, but Andre the Giant, before he started in this movie, he was also a professional wrestler. And he's this amazing professional wrestler because of his size. He was seven foot four inches tall. He was from, from France. He was, weighed over 500 pounds. And his, explo- his exploits in eating and exploits in his physical size were just um, remarkable. And everywhere this guy went, people stopped and looked at him in amazement. But one day he was walking through an airport... And uh, a little child encountered Andre the Giant. And someone snapped a picture of this little child, this little boy, when Andre the Giant, when he saw Andre the Giant. And notice this little boy's expression. Notice his expression. Quite amazed. Quite amazed. Quite a picture of awe. Walking through the airport, maybe with his mom or dad, kind of watching them. Everything's at this eye level for him. And suddenly he stops and his eyes go up and they keep going up and they keep going up and his mouth gets bigger and bigger. And he's quite overwhelmed with what he sees. And some of you this past year, God's done that in your lives. Some of you this past year have found yourself with your eyes down looking at the circumstances in your life and God has showed up and said, there's something more to your life. There's something more to your life. Some of you, God has become real to you this year and your eyes have lifted up. Some of you have taken a step of going public with your faith and your eyes have lifted up. Some of you decided at the beginning of the year, you know, I'm going to trust God with my finances, with my money. And for the next 90 days, I'm going to give the first 10% of my income and your eyes lifted up. You said, I don't know how God's going to do it, but I'm going to trust that God's going to do it. Some of you entered small groups of relationship and shared your heart and your soul and your struggle. And you're like, God, I don't know if this is the right thing to do, but I'm going to trust you and do it. Some of you, in spite of life not getting any better, but actually getting worse, You said, God, I'm going to keep lifting my eyes up to you because I don't know how, I don't know in what way, I don't know how you're going to navigate me through this, but I'm going to trust that you will. And for some of you, the idea of your eyes looking up and trusting God is a pretty scary thing. Because as we talked a few weeks ago, you've got life pretty well in control. You keep everything tight to the vest. You keep everything close inside Because you're not sure God can be trusted. Because other people that are significant or important in your life, you attempted to trust them and they let you down. They failed you. They disappointed you. They left you feeling angry and disillusioned. But that's not what God does to us. 
That's not what God does. You see, when we lift our eyes up and we look to Him, like those shepherds' eyes were lifted up and they looked and they saw these angels, God responded to them. Look at this picture again. And don't look at the little boy's expression, which is what your eyes are naturally drawn to, but look at the picture, look at the face of the giant. Look at the sense of delight on his face. You know, when God looks down on us, I think God is filled with incredible delight in us. It changed those shepherds. It changed those shepherds. When they looked up, it changed them. Verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And then in verse 20, they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard. You know, I'm fascinated by the fact that when these shepherds lifted their eyes up and they saw and they heard, that when they left, they told what had happened to them. And what had happened to them was not just that angels appeared and they met the baby, they met the Messiah, but they were glorifying and praising God. When they lifted their eyes up, God got the focus, God got the attention, and God received the praise. And when you start to look up and you see that God is looking down, it can change everything in your life. I've recognized this past week how hard that is. Especially for those who've never experienced um, this delight from their earthly father. And for those of you that never have, it can be hard to believe that God shows this kind of delight in you. It can be hard to believe that God loves you unconditionally and you don't have to do anything to earn God's favor. You don't have to do anything to make God <clears throat> excuse me, pleased with you or happy with you. God loves you unconditionally, completely and fully. For some of you, that's really hard to believe. That doesn't mean you don't come here every week. It doesn't mean you don't open your Bible. It doesn't mean you don't read it. And doesn't mean you. But the filter that you're looking through life doesn't tell you that. The filter that you're looking through life says you're not valuable. You're stupid. You're foolish. You're not important. I say, John, how do you know that? I hear you say those things about yourself. And I think to myself, that's not really true of you. But it's the filter that you've put in or that was put in for you that you're looking through about your life. And God says to you today, He says, I want to invite you to take a step towards taking that old one out putting a new one in. And this new one says, you are mine, and you are loved, and you are valued, and you are treasured, and there's no one more important to me than you are. I said, John, I don't really know how to do that. I've lived with this filter for much of my life, it's the only filter I know. 
And I see everything in life through this filter. It starts by believing that God loves you so much He was willing to give up His one and only Son for you. To send His Son to this earth to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins so that He could have a relationship with you for now and eternity. It starts there. It starts by saying yes to Jesus, saying I'm going to give my life to Him fully. And that's where it begins. Not because of your goodness. Not because you've earned it. Not because you've done more good things in the last number of years than bad things. Not for any of those reasons, but because of His incredible love for you. So the first step is to look up in awe, is to accept Him. But the second step is for you to pause daily and be in awe of what God's done for you. And then tell someone about it. Pause daily. You know, some of you have to be outside to pause. That's where you have to be. And see that God is an amazing God. One of the guys from our church who was here early this morning, clearing sidewalks, um, he came up to me. He actually did this between services. I don't know if he realized he did it, but he did it. And he said, I was here at 6 o'clock and I walked back here and the sun was coming up and the snow was glistening off the trees. And he said, I was just left speechless looking at what God had done. And so maybe for you it's being outside. Maybe for you it's recognizing how has God shown up in my life? What is God at work doing? Maybe for you it's opening God's Word and reading something. And as you read that verse, you're not just checking off your box, I read my reading for today, but you read something and God's Spirit points to you and says, this is what I have for you today. Because I love you and I care about you and I want to give you this as a gift for you today. Maybe it's sitting just thinking about the people in your life. The relationships. The family, the people that care. Maybe it's just being a grateful person with a grateful heart. I don't know what it does for you to be overwhelmed with this sense of awe. I don't know what it is. I got to tell you, for me, when I open up God's Word and I read something and God's Spirit says, this is what I have for you today. Man, Not much makes me feel more valuable than that. The God of the heavens has something for me. So I don't know what you have to do to turn your eyes up. We all have stuff in front of us. And now with the Christmas season, it's multiplied times eight and nothing ever gets subtracted. You notice that? You know, Christmas season, there's more added, but nothing ever gets subtracted. So you've got to juggle more than you're already trying to juggle. And so I don't know what it's going to take for you this week to lift your eyes up and to be able to catch a glimpse of a God who is in awe, amazing God, and who is overwhelmingly thrilled with you. But my hope and prayer is that you will be able to do that and you'll be able to look at the story of the shepherds this Christmas in a very, very new light. Would you bow your heads with me as we close this morning? And and I just want to invite you, if you are at that place in your journey where you want to look up and you've never actually said, you know, God, I'm just going to turn my life over to you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. 
to say, God, I want to turn my whole life over to you. I've never done that. I know about God and about church and about Jesus and who He is and what He's done, but I've never made it personal. It's never been part of my story that He died for me and that I needed a Savior. And if that's a part of your story, I challenge you this morning just to, uh, just to be real honest with God and say, you know, God, I've been looking down and I've kind of gotten caught up with you know, all the other things that are going on in my life and now the Christmas thing's on top of that. And the list seems long and endless and I don't know how I'm going to get it all done. And maybe just take a moment and be honest with God. And to say, God, I'm going to lift my eyes up just like the shepherds and I want to see your greatness and your splendor and your majesty. And I want to be in awe of you. God, that doesn't come natural to me. I don't automatically do it. But I'm going to need your help because this week I want to do that, God. God, you know each one of our stories and you know each one of the discs that we are looking at and viewing life. And Lord, you know what it's going to take for us to take that old one out and to put a new one in. And some of us have been trying really hard to do that, God. Some of us have just been ignoring it. But God, help us to be able to this week turn our eyes towards you and get a glimpse of you. And like those shepherds, see and celebrate and be in awe of you. And share that amazing news with others. Help us to do that this week, God. Because we can't do that on our own. Mm -hmm.